Hey, Nick. What's up, Adam? Where did you get that shirt you're wearing? The one that I like so much with the Star Wars things on it? Oh, this one. This one I get a lot of compliments on. I got this one from Roosevelt's. R-S-V-L-T-S. You know that company. I see them on Instagram all the time. They make great stuff. Shorts, shirts, all the business. Yeah, they have a bunch of great Star Wars designs, obviously, and other franchises like Marvel, WWE, Disney, and many, many more, so many more. They're more known for their button-down shirts, but they also do t-shirts and shorts, and not just for the men, but for the women and the children, too. Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way they fit. The fabric is super comfortable. Can't stop wearing them. Nice. Well, I'm going to rsvlts.com to make a purchase because I actually don't own anything yet and I've been meaning to buy something. I'm going to use the promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off my first purchase. And you can do the same again at rsvlts.com. I'm talking to you, listener. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. Finally back on the pod, I'm Ryan Key. Hey, Adam. Hey, Ryan. Hey, dude. It's Nick. I'm over here. The OG3. <laughs> Adam, are you? Are you day drinking? Oh, no, no. This is a Coca-Cola. Oh. <laughs> in this beautiful Roosevelt's koozie. Mm. Even the koozies are high-end. Yeah, really. Neoprene, neatly stitched. Good stuff. Real nice. I use them frequently. I find ways to use them. I don't think I got any koozies in my box. You want some? <laughs> you, you, you want some? I knew you could. <laughs> Ma! <laughs> you, he goes, I knew you could. Ma! <laughs> so good. What's she doing? I never know, I never what, know she's what she's doing, doing back there. Back there. That's the pause that gets me. J-Bone. <laughs> my protege. <laughs> He's actually uh, getting married. <laughs> what? I have it. I have it on my soundboard, but not on this computer. On my Mac, no. I can't play it for you. I literally have what an idiot. <laughs> Anyways, en- enough talking about um, extremely inappropriate films that we... Enough J-Bone. <laughs> ...wouldn't come out today. All right, let's talk about Andor. We are, as we have been for the past 11 weeks, talking about um, maybe the greatest show in Disney history. Yeah. History. I like all Disney everything. All history. Yeah. Listen, All if, Turnstile, if Turnstile's getting Grammy noms, <laughs> Andor's getting the Emmy nominations. Yeah. I'm calling it. It's got to yeah. happen. It the times happen. they are a changing. Yep. What have you done with those plans? Andor, episode 11, Daughter of Ferrix, debuted today, November 16th, 2022, on Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus description, a fugitive once more, Cassian must make his next move before it's too late. Okay. Is the title of this episode interesting to anyone else? Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely was misleading because I thought yeah. it was going to be more like Marva's Last Stand, that sort yeah. of thing. But she did. Nope. I mean, she was the sort of the central chess piece to this episode. For sure. 
yeah, bringing everything, bringing people back together, bringing the plot to a head. There's a lot riding on her death and this funeral, you know, in terms of the ISB and the Empire. So I right, think right. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the title comes from. It's like everything hangs now on this moment and will and or mm-hmm. will Cassian return to Ferris yeah. or not. Point well taken. And it was cool when they said, um, what's the guy, the big dude's name, his friend? Brasso. Brasso. Yeah, when Brasso, he said, the daughters of Ferrix mm-hmm. need you now or the daughter of Ferrix? The daughters, like the group right, yeah. that right. she was part of, yeah. Like they need help. He was trying to make um, B feel like needed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Because yeah. He he's tripping. He's lost his mom. Right. He's officially B2 emo. He is yeah. he's so, officially so emo. He's being too emo. Yeah. So I, th- I think there was quite a bit actually in the subtext of this episode that yeah. make the title make sense. So anyways, go ahead. I agree. Good point. Good stuff. Written by Tony Gilroy, who hasn't been the sole writer since episode three, Reckoning. Directed by Benjamin Carone. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. That sounds right. He also directed episode seven, Announcement, which we loved. 45 minute runtime on this one. It felt shorter to me. It felt, mm. this is one mm-hmm. of the few that when it ended, I was like, damn, already? Because, you know, obviously the, the tension, like Ryan said before we hit record, is really building. I mean, like, the kettle is heating up, dude. Yeah. I, as far as like, you know, first impressions for this one, I want to say first, I think Tony Gilroy being the sole writer of this is so evident in mm-hmm. this episode, most notably in the conversation between Moth and Vel about the money and how much trouble she's in and just yeah, yeah. It, it's so spy thriller it's so like yeah. it's, they go she goes so deep into the details of her finances and why she's going to get busted you know what i mean and what it's mm-hmm. not like your typical star wars that would sort of gloss over i owe someone money and i'm in trouble she was like breaking down the different accounts that yeah. I, I don't know i just feel like there was a lot of him his sort of depth that he brings conversationally to the script was really present in this episode. And then I think honestly of all the cool things that happened in this in this episode, I got to say something about that final score piece, dude. <sighs> yeah. The outro music with the credits, that shit was on fire, man. They ha- they had like it was like big strings in the back with some low end some bass cruising, but then they went with like the first chair cello and viola vibe. There was no if you listen to it uh, this is music nerd shit, everyone, but there's no first chair violin. And what that means is if you're listening to an orchestra, not always, but in a, in a lot of pieces, especially recorded orchestra music, you can really tell that it sounds like there's one string player sitting on top of the entire rest of the orchestra. And that would be your first chair cellist, violist, or viola player or, or violinist. Do you say, what's the word for a viola player? I always say viola player. Violist? Viola-er? (laughs) Violist? Viola. It might be violist. I don't know. Someone figure that out. Viola men. (laughs) Patrick uh, in the chat (laughs) says violist. So yeah. Are you sure it isn't a voila? (laughs) Voilist. A voilist. Uh, Anyways, if you listen to the track again, if you go back and watch the episode, notice that it isn't until the very tail end of it when it really dips down in intensity that they bring in a single violin, which is usually kind of the most emotional, dramatic part of a performance like that. But they went with just this cello and viola playing off of each other on top of uh, of the, the rest of the string section. And it was so sad and heartbreaking and, and tense. I, the score for the show has been amazing all the way through, but I uh, really, really was excited by that that final piece, if you can't tell. <laughs> They're really concentrating on Nicholas Bertel on like 
social media and he's doing kind of these breakdowns of the score every now and again. And he seems so stoked, which is really funny because the music, I mean, it's kind of like you right now, Ryan, like you're really stoked about it and we're all pumped on it. But the music itself is not like party music, you know, like it's, it's sad, but they're doing such a good job with it. And I really like hearing his breakdown of what he's going for and what they did. It's, it's really cool to focus on the music in a way. And, and I was going to say earlier, like, I think that they did that a little bit with Ludwig with uh, Mandalorian stuff, but I don't know if Nicholas Bertel is just more available for like social media, little clips and stuff, but he's, he's crushing it in every way possible. Can we also mention the fact, and uh, I, I thought about this while watching the show, but uh, Patrick in, in the chat, one of our patrons, and everyone else is now going like, oh my God, <laughs> but uh, Cassian alone on the beach. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I <laughs> the next time he's on a beach, yep. the Death Star incinerates him Yeah. after he saves the rebellion. I just, yeah. come on, man. Brutal. I got watery eyes here. <laughs> my impression of this episode, which, you know, if you go back and watch it a second time or so, I mean, it's probably evident to smarter people than me on the first viewing, but I think everybody, all the main chess pieces were all put in a position to finally realize what they're doing and what they have to do to like move forward and like, let's get this rebellion going, you know, Mm -hmm. like that sort of thing. Like everyone was literally like, okay, I'm officially in a corner. There's no like Mon Mothma, Saw, Luthen, Cassian, like that shot of Cassian on the beach. I think that's the bookend right there. I think Mm -hmm. that's the first bookend on the shelf on the left and Rogue One at the end is the other bookend, you know, like that's brilliant. It's almost like birth and death right there. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many views it took you to come up with that. You're a brilliant man. (laughs) (laughs) But, but every single person I think was finally in a corner and like, okay, I think this was the, uh, you know, the rebellion starts now. (laughs) And, and thank I want, so this, this episode was, was very conversational. Uh, I mentioned how it, the tension, I don't know if I said that in the while you were doing Stolen Plans or before we started, but either way, the the sort of like, sl- you can almost hear like a sad or tense dissident string part in the back. Yeah. You can't, but in your mind, like through the whole episode, because it's just like, what's coming? What's happening? But I got to say thank you to the showrunners for giving us that unreal Star Wars moment of the TIE fighters and the reconnaissance ship or whatever they call it, whatever the, um, what, what kind of cruiser did they call it? Uh, we'll mention it in the den. It's, it's the one with the tractor beam. Yeah. Either way, that scene, it's like, even though we were in this conversational episode that had so much information, they gave us this, like, this, I said, L- Laura was sitting on the couch with me while I was watching it, working on her laptop. And I go, you know, she was like, obviously she has a look on her face, like totally babe. I care. Oh. This is great. But I was like, we used to wait five years for these movies to come out. And now this this scene that we just watched with, with a spinning Corellian cruiser with lasers shooting out of the side of it, <laughs> melting TIE fighters. It's just on TV once a week. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. We don't deserve it. Yet everyone still acts like they deserve more and like Kathleen ruined, ruined their childhoods. Good stuff. Um, there's a great meme. Did we send the meme did somebody put it probably in the Mosh Eisley chat, the Kathleen Kennedy one? Yeah. We'll post it. We'll put it in the stories. Um, it's great. All right. Let's check in on a few things. Marva, rest in peace. Like we said before, B2 is super emo about it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Barrasso's picking up the pieces. He's like the... Love that guy. You know, he's like the, the adopted son of the family in a way. You know, he's like the best friend down the street that's, you know, going to show up to help out. He's going to bring a crock pot full of chili to the 
you know, for everyone to sit Shiva or whatever <laughs> is going to happen. He's that guy. And I love like the really personal moment. It's really subtle if, if you're not a person who is like empathetic to this kind of stuff, but the way he comforts B2 after having been just kind of like dismissed as an object, you know, you can hear the other people in the room talking about, oh, what do we do about the droid? You know, and there's a close up like Hal 9000 kind of shot on his eye and he's like shaking and the drink falls off. Mm-hmm. Somebody put a drink on his head. Like imagine you're, you're just crying because your mom just died and someone put a drink on your head. Yeah. So he comforts him like a little kid because that's who he is emotionally. You know, Marvel's his mom too. It's just beautiful and sad as hell. He's got a lot of compassion in that character. If you, I think back yeah. to the beginning of the show when Brasso, when, when Cassian approaches him about, I was with you last night mm-hmm. and he just launches into the whole, no, this is what happened. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, he just, he really is, for, for being the kind of big, beefy, burly dude, he's got a lot of compassion and, and depth, I think, to that character for the limited time we've gotten to spend with him. Marva, we learn, is going to be cremated and then it's Farrick's custom that they take the ashes and they, they put them in the mix that makes the bricks that build all of the buildings. So dope. So the ancestors become part of their home. The history that they built becomes a physical history that is built yeah. with their literal bodies, which is like such a cooler way to do things. Tony Gilroy, than man. the shit we, we do on Earth where we just built... Yeah, st- I'd rather be a brick than uh, just put my bones in the ground. Yeah, <laughs> put them in a stupid, awkward box. It's too expensive. <laughs> and this fact makes it so much more messed up and it's a great sort of little like social commentary on the history of um, imperialism on Earth. Think about how much more f***ed up and tragic it is the way the Empire has occupied Ferrix and they just take over buildings, they do whatever they want with them. They're in there like using an old hotel as an office and they're essentially on like a burial ground, you know? So it has this mm-hmm. parallel to the, the idea of not respecting the native burial grounds, especially in the U.S. and uh, places like Australia that where populations are basically just eradicated. It's terrible. So good on you for that metaphor, Tony. Thank you. The ISB and Dedra, we, we get a really short scene here and not much other than... Um, well, not much with Dedra at all, but the key scene is where she's made aware of Marva's death. She's going to allow them to hold the funeral, hoping to catch Cassian if, if and when he returns. And then we get an officer interrogating Bix again. She's so messed up from the torture last time. You know, she, you can hear the, um, it's like the echoes of, of the children and Dr. Gore's words. She's maybe gone, like fully, dude. Psychologically, no. I, spoiler alert! I, I come in. I come in next episode and save her. <laughs> you come rescue your girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and then season two, you get married. There's actually a spinoff of it's a reality show. Me and Vince. <laughs> so this officer, did you guys recognize the main dude asking her the questions? No, I don't. Think I recognize the other one in the black suit from last episode, but. Point being, they show her a hollow image of a person suspected to be Anto Krieger. We have to assume it's the actual dude. Mm-hmm. First time we've seen him. And they ask, is this the man you introduced to Cassian Andor? She starts crying. Like, So what do you guys think? Is she crying because she knows? I feel like no matter what, she knows she's screwed. She's back to Dr. Gore. Yeah. She's going to be tortured again. No, that's, I think, I think she, I knows, know. she knows a lot. So I think she just like saw, she knows that if there's 31 guys there and she's about to kill them all. Yeah. I think yeah. she knows what she has to do and, and she realizes it's an out. Mm-hmm. And she can, she can lie and say, yes, this is who I introduced them to. 
that's certainly what could happen. I feel like it's being presented as like maybe more so like what Deidre said to her an episode or two ago, mm-hmm. where it was more along the lines of like, no matter what I say, you're going to think I'm lying, right? You know, like that sort right, of thing. Right. So I'm wondering, it could be, Ryan, I think that that's amazing. So the note that Mike put in here is Vix is in a tough spot because Luthen is parsing out the information to specific people and no one's ever given the full information. So no one can divulge the full information if they're tortured or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she might not even have the information that Dedra thinks she does. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. So is that it? Or is she just like, I don't know. It's certainly one or the other. I I think it's option one or two, A or B. There's, there's no C like she either doesn't know and she's breaking down because She's like, doesn't matter what I say. If I say no, this isn't the guy. Mm-hmm. Or she knows exactly what's going on and she realizes if she says that, then she's basically sentencing them all to death. Yeah. yeah. And she's going to get tortured Which either way. Which has done already. Right. Which is already <laughs> happening. Yeah. So it might be the first one more because, you know, the plan was already in motion. and Right. So Cinta, speaking of rebels, she's still laying low on Ferrix. Another question. Do you guys think that the ISB or the Imperial spy there knows that she's involved or is he just around and she is more aware of him because she she obviously knows she's like fully aware like oh okay here's this imperial ass bag do you think he has her dialed or no yeah i mean the way she goes the way she says i just started yesterday or last week or whatever she says she's totally blowing him off you know i mean he could just be asking questions and just being around and not be aware of her specifically okay I, I kind of see what you're asking now. I, I don't think he's aware that she's like a rebel cell. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, like he wouldn't be asking. He'd just say, come get this person. Take her yeah. away. Mm-hmm. You know, he, that was a question of like, oh, you're a local. Do you know who that was? Yeah. You know? Either way, she learns of Marva's death, alerts the team. Vel goes to the gallery looking for Luthen, asks Clea where she is. Fancy Vel. Yeah, Fancy Vel. Uh, Sunday Best Vel. Mm-hmm. Um, Clay is all concerned because Vel's breaking protocol. She's just in there being reckless, tells her to kick rocks basically. And that's a great conversation. And it's shot really cool too. There's like really interesting framing and stuff that puts them kind of like in opposition to each other. But you see, there's a great breakdown on, um, oh, what is it? Screen crush. Maybe the dude with the blockbuster shirt Yeah. on YouTube, the way they're framed typically, like if people are talking to each other, right, they're facing each other, you'll keep one person kind of in the back of the frame, so to speak like the back third, and then there's two thirds up front in their face because it indicates like where they're looking, right? But if you frame it opposite, so that like the frame ends like right here and they got a bunch of space behind them, that tends to indicate like somebody's going to come up behind them or they've got baggage, they've got guilt, they've got um, paranoia, whatever. And they're both framed like that. Like they don't know where they're going. They're facing each other. They're in opposition. And the stuff that's behind them is also framed really cool. Like all this, all the antiques and the wealth and stuff is behind Vel. All the darkness and the shadows are behind Clea. It's really, really dope if you're into yeah. nerdy cinema stuff like that. That's beautiful. I love that. Mon Mothma, we alluded to this earlier. This whole thing's so heavy, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. When she first walked in and, and um, you, you hear the voices sort of speaking this oh God. Um, yes. ritualistic sort of chant it's terrible and then you figure out what's happening that it's young girls and then you remember everything that's already happened Mm -hmm. with her daughter and then you're just like oh star wars handmaid's tale yep happening yeah right here you want the full thing i wrote it down yeah read it so mon is like 
got tears in her eyes the entire time because she knows she's screwed all the stuff she's telling Vel about, like you mentioned earlier. And her daughter, it doesn't matter whether or not she decides to betroth her daughter to this piece of shit's son, because her daughter is already all in on the traditional customs, being a handmaid, being a, an arranged wife. So like her whole world's crumbling. I get the vibe that it's not just that. It's like she has to be mar- married. It's not like mm-hmm. when you come of age, you'll marry this guy. It's like you're 14 and you're going to marry Married right now, yeah. It's Game of Thrones style stuff in Star Wars. Is the age 15, is that like the mandatory age to get married or is that just when Mon Mothma got married? Because she definitely mentioned 15, I want to say, a couple episodes back. It's probably the mandatory age. And so it's like, this is is medieval, you know, Mm -hmm. George Martin style writing in Star Wars. We've certainly never seen this before. Yeah. So the the chant led by the Shandrillan elder that Lita invited, she like organized this you know, den meeting of... (laughs) She's drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Full on. Yielding in acceptance, safe in the braid of the old ways, true and steady and braided in trust. The old ways hold us, safe in the knot, in the binding. The old ways teach us, bound against the wind, tied to the shore, tethered in permanence. And then the shot of Vel greeting her at the end of the scene and grabbing both of her braids on either Mm -hmm. side of her, like, of, of her head, like the... Oh, God, dark. It's dark. Not a win. Not good for the family. No. I really think, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, that it might be Mon's daughter that puts them in peril, you know, that invites the Empire, invites ISB to their house, you know, like makes her a suspect. You know how, I'm going to do the thing where we don't speculate on this program. You know how... There's some life in her, in, in Mon Mothma in this series. You know, there's some energy. Mm-hmm. There's a decent amount of smiles even when she's yeah. dealing with, even when she's in the kind of serious stuff dealing with the Rebel Alliance issues, they're having sometimes conversations where you can tell she's kind of jazzed up. Okay, we're doing this thing, you know? But yeah. there's a lot of up and down, a lot of emotion. What do we see later? Just blank stare, only leader, no emotion. Just like she was in Rogue One, just like she was in... The original trilogy, yeah. What if, some, I mean, that backstory absolutely could be like, her. this is going to go really badly for, for her daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she it's looks like good. a woman who lost a child, in essence, is what I'm getting at. If you think about those performances in the, in the original trilogy. Now, obviously, they didn't know that then, but what a cool way to, to write that story leading to those moments and why she was such a stoic leader. It's pro shit. Because, yeah, her daughter's in play here. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of the game, for sure. Yeah, and if you think about how do you make a wealthy senator, how do you make somebody like that, how do you write that character to really justify being part of a militaristic rebellion? They've got to lose a lot of shit mm-hmm. yeah. to justify that. So, well done. Cyril Karn, he's back. He gets a call from Linus Mosk, the shit dropper, the first cusser in all of Star Wars. <laughs> Bastard. Um... <laughs> He tells him that Andor's mother died. Andor may be returning. It's a great, like, lightly comedic conversation. Uh, can you hear me now style, but just way better. Yeah. Then, so Cyril's mom's overhearing this whole thing, and she says something that I haven't been able to, like, decipher exactly what she means because all of her dialogue's written so eloquently. What does this mean? How did you guys interpret this? The mystery of your former triumphs has been vanquished. I can sleep peacefully now. Like a sarcastic, for sure. Yeah, sarcastic. That's really the only, tonally, that's the only thing I could take from that was that she was being like, oh, wow, 
Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The mystery of your former triumphs has been vanquished. I mean, his whole thing is still such a mystery to me. Yeah. What, you know, what purpose he serves in the story and where his character's going yeah. and her, like, you know, these lines like that, it's like sh- almost Shakespearean lines coming out mm-hmm. in their apartment. Like, wh- what right. is it? What are they doing back there? <laughs> I never know what she's doing <laughs> back there. It's Cyril's mom. <laughs> so he's all amped up because he's still hellbent on catching Andor, proving himself. That's his mission now. So he takes some credits from his private box which she's not allowed to go into, mm-hmm. and leaves once she's gone. Luthen, also out on um, walkabout, he goes to Saw Gerrera's partisan base on, is it Segra or Sigra? Sigra, right? On Sigra Milo. Depends on what part of the galaxy you're from, bro. Segra. So we get a really good look at that sort of um, hilt of the, the walking staff thing. Oh, uh, yeah. The totally not a lightsaber, yet expendable walking cane that he doesn't need. And he says, I've got Kyber to give out. When does he say that? I missed that. Mike put this in here. I don't, I don't remember hearing that. Interesting. So Saul wants in on Krieger's assault plan. And because, like we talked about before, Luthen knows that the ISB knows and he's going to sacrifice everybody. He tells Saw this and Saw is like, he's already getting super paranoid. He's, he's ramping up to become the so paranoid that he'll torture his own people, level dude in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And... Luthen starts like kind of prodding him with this when he's like, who's a spy? Is there a spy? Do I have a spy here? You know, he's freaking out and, and Luthen, Luthen's like, it's tubes. It's him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so subtle and good. Like the way, like he's being sarcastic, but it's like really, really subtle. Yeah. You know, I think he's, he's got a good grasp. I mean, as Cassian kind of does just lying, you know? And it's like yeah. when you're in this like paranoid rebel scenario where you know saw ultimately is like goes nuts if he's not if you wouldn't already classify him as nuts just being paranoid but luthan knows anything could be believable mm-hmm. it's really this like almost like fake news ish thing where it's just like no matter what i say saw might believe part of it because he doesn't know what to believe because everything's a lie you know <laughs> so it's just like yeah it's this guy over here tubes and then t- <laughs> right i loved what i took to I interpreted it as Luthen knowing that that tubes would like come to like plead with Saul, like no, yeah. no, don't kill me, don't kill me. Yeah, yeah. That way he could grab the blaster out of his mm-hmm. out of his holster. So rad, slick. He's a smart guy, that Luthen. And then it closes. The conversation closes with this awesome exchange. So Saul is he's convinced he gets it because he's of this mind that there will be sacrifices, whatever. And once once he trusts, I guess Luthen enough. Luthen has him convinced. Like if I was ISB. We wouldn't be standing here. You'd be done already, right? Mm-hmm. And Saw's like, okay, I'm in. Let Krieger get killed, whatever. And he goes, for the greater good. And Luthen says, call it what you will. He kind of dismisses. And then, again, bookending the situation, this longer story, Saw says, Let's call it war. Forrest Whitaker, mm. national treasure. <laughs> A national treasure. So on his way out on... Luthen's way out on the Fondor. He has a conversation with Clea. He gets her on the hollow. It's one of those doublespeak conversations because they know they can be monitored and he needs to update her. Help me break this down. I have the whole thing written here. So Luthen says, he wanted to reopen the offer. Clea says, and did you close the sale? Luthen says, I did. It was more expensive than I hoped, but I wasn't in a position to bargain. So 
he wanted he wanted to reopen the offer, meaning before last time they talked, he was like, "No, um, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it." And then this time he said, "I'm in." What's his name's? Yeah, he's like a lumpy idiot that isn't going to get it done. He's lazy and stupid and slow or whatever, right? He said about Krieger. Yes. And this time he says he's in. So that's that's that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Close the sale. They're, they're talking as if these are artifacts, whatever, right? More expensive than I hoped, but I wasn't in a position to bargain. I guess did Clay not know if- about? I'm wondering if Clay and Luthen haven't had a chance to talk about the fact that Krieger and his men and women, assuming, are are going down, yeah. are being sacrificed. And they're going to lose 30 rebels, yeah. Yeah, that's the expensive part. Got it, got it. Okay. Yeah. One, what's the thing? What's the thing? One, one death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic, Stalin said. Mm-hmm. Right. So that idea of like th- counting them as credits, 30 rebels, you know? Right. You're going to yeah. lose 30 pieces in the game. Clay says, so you're coming home? Luthen says, depends. I'm most curious about the other piece, being Cassian, right? Yes. Yeah. Has to That's be. how I took that. She says, you should come home. Luthen says, is it no longer available? Assume that means is he still alive? Right. So I, I guess he's wondering, like, did you acquire some new information since I've been gone on Cassian, right? Yeah. When he says, is it no longer available? Mm-hmm. She says, no, it's very much on the table. Negotiations are ongoing and our representatives are involved. There's a number of other buyers on the ground. And your presence would only so complicate the... So that's Cinta and the ISB, I'm going to assume. Other buyers, yeah. So ISB would be the other buyer. Or it's like truly metaphorical, like there are just many things that could happen. ISB could get him... Complicate the get, bidding, mm. right? Is what yeah, she complicate says. the bidding, yeah. He could just bail on his own. I mean, do they know he's out of prison? Do they know he escaped? <sighs> yeah, good question there. I'm not sure. They can't. Yeah, I don't know how they would. Yeah. Did they know he was in prison? Yeah, Zach the Maker just said that. I mean, he had a he was using a different name. It's not like Cassian Andor is in the system. I don't so. think they knew where he was at all. Anyways, totally. yeah, that's why they're all thinking he might show up for the funeral. Even right, right. even the ISB doesn't know he was in in prison. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, yeah. they would have come and snagged him. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Which is a little well. Here's a big picture question: Have we seen facial recognition in Star Wars? No, we have not. Which is only palm. Which is really funny. Only dead guys' hands. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So they couldn't, you know, you'd think, oh, well, because they've been showing his face. Look at this is what he looks like. Right. So you'd think the prisoners would be scanned when they came in. Right. But but they're not because I don't think that's tech that we've seen. Right. In Mando. Cat says in Mando. Oh, yeah. Oh, Facial yeah. Facial scan. There, there is. That's why he had to take his helmet off. On Morak? Is that what it was? When he's like the mud trooper-y looking. See, mm-hmm. so I'm being, I'm being a butthead here and picking Star Wars apart because like, come on, how are they not going to scan their prisoners facial features and figure out who they, you know what I mean? If there's an empire-wide, da- empire-wide database. Unless everything is just, it's so backlogged and they don't care and they're like. And Patrick's right. Well, yeah, I think you've got a point, Adam. They don't care. They just want bodies. In, and once they're in, they're in. They don't care. Yeah. And and the whole concept of it starting to get, like they think they're too big to fail sort of thing. So they're not paying attention to the details anymore. That tracks. Mm-hmm. But also Patrick said that's in the future. The Mando stuff, so. yeah. I mean, yeah. think about facial recognition technology widely used here on Earth and how short of a time it's been. <laughs> right. It fits into this timeline that it could just be yeah. that short time later that it's something. I love when we make shit work for ourselves. <laughs> From a certain point of view. Luthen says, we need that piece. We lose that and we'll have to close shop. Meaning... All is lost. All is lost. They're part of the rebellion or the whole thing is done without Cassian. He feels that strongly. Clea says, there's nothing more you can do. Luthen says, that's never true. Clea says, it's a crowded market, meaning... 
everyone, everyone wants. Because, and then Luthen responds with, you need to think of the consequences of losing that piece to another collector. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm prepared for every outcome. So, I mean, basically everyone wants Cassian. So that's everyone. Everyone's after him. Credit market. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Smart stuff. Yep. Well done. Really good writing. So he gets stopped by the Imperial cruiser, like we talked about, catch him in a tractor beam. And then he uses countermeasures, you know, like, um, like fighter pilots do, where they eject these things that heat-seeking missiles hit, right? Same kind of thing, but they get sucked into the tractor beam so fast that they, it's like shrapnel. It just blows through the dish, and it takes out the tractor beam. Loved that. It's interesting because, in theory, people would do this all the time if they could. Mm-hmm. But you have to assume that that much stuff to be able to pull that off is expensive, and the average person who's running from the Empire or running from the cops, whatever, wouldn't have the money to have that kind of countermeasure on their ship. But he's wealthy. Yeah. We've also n- never seen a tractor beam this small. Yeah. You yeah. know, and how do tractor beams and shields work right. on ships, you know? And magnets, how do they work? <laughs> because I, I, I think in this episode, we've seen two that, including this scene, if I step out, you know, critically, two of the most Star Wars-y, like, absolutely unbelievable no chance no chance Mm -hmm. they don't they're they're all of a sudden they're climbing like whatever that face in yellowstone is where people die because they try to free climb it yeah Yeah. the face that free solo with the film was about yeah they're just no climbing experience bare feet they're gonna get to the top of that and then in space shrapnel is gonna explode at the front of your ship and you're fine Right. Like that shrapnel is going hundreds of thousands of miles per hour once it explodes and doesn't hit the ship once. But that could be shields. Maybe they have certain shields over the over the bridge. Well, in theory, if it sucks it directly into the tractor beam dish and that's the only thing it hits. Yeah, but think about gravity, what I'm saying, like the film, the Sandra Bullock film. The movie gravity. Satellite explodes on the other side of the earth. Yeah. Space shuttle's destroyed in 90 minutes because it's yeah. shrapnel in space is a bad, bad thing. Yeah, so every sci-fi movie where there's Yes. Any, any, any kind explosion, of ship out there. every ship within a hundred miles of the battle would be destroyed from the shrapnel. Yeah. <laughs> Again, shrapnel in space, bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so shields, but shields don't apply to the tractor beam part. Yeah, maybe they're just the shield would be in the way of the tractor beam, so it's everything yeah. behind it. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. From a certain point of view, we nailed it. <laughs> yeah. All I'm going to say about this is this part in particular, and this scene was in like one of the last trailers before. Andor came out, like before it debuted. His, I'm going to say they're lightsabers because that's more fun, but his ship has lightsabers. (laughs) (laughs) Straight up. That part was so sick. I totally forgot that part existed. So when it happened was me just going like this to the screen. (laughs) There's some some visual. You learned that cool trick from Anakin. Yeah, it's a double-bladed saber ship. Yeah, I loved it. I did too, man. So cool. I did too. All right, uh, let's wrap up the synopsis-ish kind of thing with Cassian. So... As we know, he escaped from Narkina 5 with Melshi, his boy from Rogue One. They run into some locals on Narkina 5, more on that later in the den, and they get a ride off-world from them to Niamos, a.k.a. Space Miami, just so he can retrieve that box of credits and blasters from the hotel room that he had above the shower. He calls home to Ferrix, finds out Marv is dead. It's brutal. They have that final conversation, he and Melshi, on the beach. Mm. I watched it twice. That's the one part of the episode I, I rewound it just to hear that conversation again and that score. And then it closes with that great bookend moment mm-hmm. like Nick talked about. Did you guys notice when he is in that hotel room and he's going through his box of credits with his blasters in there? I think it was Nemec's manifesto thing. 
yep. turns on for a second. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty cool. What it does says it say? like tyranny. It says something about tyranny. Yes. I don't know. It's like literally two words. It says like tyranny must or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Tyranny sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my manifesto. You ready? Chapter one. Tyranny sucks. <laughs> Chapter two. Freedom rocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. Let's move on. Hey, Adam, can you believe that it's the holiday season already? Unfortunately, I have to believe it because it's happening way too fast and I've done almost zero Christmas shopping. I'm way behind. Well, spoiler alert to everyone in my life. You're all getting clothing from Roosevelt's as holiday gifts this year. (laughs) It's a great idea because Roosevelt's not only has all the Star Wars shirts, shorts, and everything else that we wear, but they also have tons of designs from other pop culture franchises for other people that aren't the same kind of nerd that we are. (laughs) Yeah, they actually just launched a line of National Lampoon's Christmas vacation button-downs and t-shirts if you need something to wear for your holiday party. And they also have other designs from franchises like Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, WWE, The Office, Rick and Morty, Friends, and old-school movies like The Big Lebowski, Jaws, Goonies, and you're going to love this one, Top Gun. Well, if you feel the need for speed, as I do, you can go to rsvlts.com. That's Roosevelt's with no vowels. And use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. That's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark saber. Oh gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Nikki, give us the goods. Tell us the fun nuggets. At first, I thought there wasn't very many, but Mike Mike helped out with this. So the TIE striker that flies over Melshi and Cassian on Narkina 5 was in Rogue One on Scarif. I knew it looked familiar, but I, I didn't place it in Rogue One, so that makes sense. You mean while they were filming with Jimmy Chin, the, yeah. the next mountain climbing documentary? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that the one that has the two, uh, the wings just over the top like yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And that's the only other time we've seen it in live action, at least, right? Yep. Sick. I do think we have our first instance of a calf maker. Uh, in the cafe on Ferrix where Cinta is working, there's a machine that is apparently a calf machine. It has two big kind of cylinders topped with a, a domed metal part. And these are uh, seem like they're made out of like a standard kitchen colander type of thing. For sure. <laughs> so now we know how they make the calf. A lot of those props in this show, man, like uh, back in... in uh... Space Miami, first shot was just Target beach chairs just yeah. right on the front. Yeah. Again, I mean, yeah. they were in it last time, but they're still there. <laughs> yeah, Target from 1976, too. <laughs> K-Mart, so Kmart. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, back to Luthen's gallery. You know, every time we have a scene in there, we see something a little different. So there's a round stone tablet, and the design is based directly on the Aztec calendar, uh, also known as the Sunstone. And the shapes and the layout are pretty identical to the Aztec calendar and just the characters and creatures on it have been uh, changed. I wish there was like an, a nice in-focus shot of it because there's that perfect one where Clea and Vel are on either side of it, but it's in the back background out of focus because yeah, yeah. there's some alien head, almost like a hammerhead kind of shape in the place of that wow, open mouth looking Aztec dude. I mean, E.T. is a Jedi and E.T. went to Earth. We know Earth exists in this whole realm and, and isn't the whole Mayan Aztec thing like aliens maybe came and helped them build all that high-tech Yes, dude. This is 100%. Aqueducts and all the things that were way ahead of their time. So there you go. Let's do a full episode about how Earth 
is in the Star Wars galaxy. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Great. I'm serious. But yeah. there you go. It's I great. think that, that tracks it. That's the Aztec symbol and aliens. Yeah. Adding to the pile. The mountain of evidence. This was the only thing that I personally found Easter egg wise. Uh, Cassian and Melshi make a run for the quad jumper at the beginning of the episode. And it's the same design of ship that Finn and Ray are running into right before they actually uh, get on the Millennium Falcon. The whole, the garbage will do moment. Mm -hmm. Pretty and cool. it gets blown up like as they're heading and they turn around. Yeah. Yep. There's one more somewhere else, maybe in Solo. Either way. Yeah. Good stuff. We didn't really get to talk about the two aliens on Narkina 5. Uh, they were awesome. We don't get a lot. We haven't gotten a lot of like alien speak on this episode. Uh, so Cassian and Melshi run into these two uh, aliens. I think their species is the Caridian. And they were first seen in Rogue One. And the character, I don't necessarily know how to pronounce this, but Sysied Ak, who is one of Saw Gerrera's partisans. Sysied? 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 Something. Um, one of them might actually be Sysied Ak with the cybernetic implants on, uh, on the right eye and the, the light on their head. So, I mean, could be. Clearly down to help them get away from the Empire. Totally. Yeah. They're great. And there's some great designs. There's something else about that species. I mean, he talks about them. You know, they hate the Empire because they ruined their planet and everything else. There may be one other reference in a comic or something that they're they're very like rebellion leaning, mm -hmm. rebellion sympathetic as a species. So towards the end of the episode when Luthen is uh pretty much getting interrogated by the, the Empire, that's an Cantwell class arrestor cruiser. Cool. Which is the the whole arrestor cruiser. Yeah. Sick. <laughs> the Easter egg there is that that's based on concept artist Colin Cantwell's original design for the Star Destroyer, and elements of its design were incorporated into the Death Star, most notably the the dish. And this goes all the way back to like the very first designs with like that old skinny X Wing that had like the hot rod like green on it. Yeah. And yeah. there was the really simple TIE fighter that was before everything had greeblies and texture on it and it looked super like retro sci fi. This was one of the designs. While Cassian is back on uh, Niamos in that hotel room, he's looking through, you know, when he's rifling through his credits and all that, there's Blutopians in bed. And the species was the same alien species at the beginning or towards the beginning of Rogue One when Jin is in captivity, jail, cellmate, yeah. whatever. So, uh, and that's on Wobani. So this is the same species and they brought that back. I love that they're sleeping again. Like, that's their thing. <laughs> they're they're sleepy species. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like middle of the day. Yeah. Like I, I think that was the that was sort of the joke there was that it's the middle of the day and they're sleeping. And the last time yeah. we you know when we saw yeah. Mobani, he was like trying to sleep here. <laughs> they're day drinkers, you know? Yeah. yeah. There you go. I'm take a nap. Yeah. Disco nap. This last one is a stretch for sure. The fake Alderanian, Alderanian transponder ID that Luthen uses. The digits are 129-12505 and 2505 could be May 25th, which is the theatrical release date of Star Wars. Not A New Hope, just Star Wars in 1977. It's a bit of a stretch, but hey. Yeah. I just want to figure out what the 1291 is now. Yeah, right. Is that like... Uh, that could be a writer's kid's birthday. 91. Certainly could be. All right, let's move on. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite moments, favorite quotes, favorite stuff. Ryan Key, you want to go first? I will. Um, these episodes are hard. They're hard to find favorite things because 
I find myself latching on to such small, maybe insignificant things like this final score piece of this episode. Like I said, I went back to watch the conversation between Cassian and Melshi one more time, partially to take in that dialogue again, which was really, I think, impactful. It was a really impactful moment. You know, it's it's Nazi Germany stuff. It's like people need to know, the world needs to know what's going on here. You know, I love that. But then going into that piece of music, I just sat there and listened to the whole thing again a second time. So yeah, I, I find these small moments in, in the show that I love. But I, I got to say, I think there's been not a whole lot of this. So I really kind of perked up in my chair. And as I said, I mentioned to my fiance, like we used to wait half a decade to see something like this on the screen. This getaway in space, Luthen and the Arrestor Cruiser, that whole thing was once the TIE fighters came out of the bay, I, I, I was just like, I, I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. <laughs> you know, I didn't even, Nick, you remembered it from the trailer. I didn't, I didn't you know me, yeah. I'm not, that stuff doesn't, my brain doesn't have enough compartments for all that stuff, but brain bandwidth. So when, when it happened and he started spinning around, it was, it was yeah, I love Star Wars. So I think <laughs> I'm going to go with Luthen's escape, the countermeasures and the battle that followed. Nick, how about you? Oh man, the absolute sadness of B2 Emo. Mm. It got me, man. Because mm-hmm. it's just basically that's a dog, you know? That's mm-hmm. a dog just being like, no, nah, I need my daddy. I need my mommy. Yeah, it's like if your dog could talk if, if you died first. Yeah. Yeah. And still wouldn't understand the concept of like death, you know? That mm-hmm. just destroyed me. It was beautifully shot. You know, that one scene, I mean, I have a screenshot already saved on my phone of like, it's just perfectly well lit of him like looking out longingly out the window yeah it's just absolutely like crystal clear well lit somehow that droid that has no facial expressions looks sad (laughs) you know like (laughs) oh my goodness it got me man it's so cool how they do that it really really got me i was so so sad shout out to the puppeteers Mm -hmm. for making a red box look sad (laughs) yeah Yeah. red metal box and dude, the way he begs Brasso to stay there. Yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. he, does, he doesn't even want to leave the house yet. He's like, will you please stay here? Can I sleep in your bed? Jill and I talk about this all the time. Like, <laughs> just think about how sad it is. Like as terrible as it is to lose a pet, especially if you have to euthanize or anything like that. It's just, it's some of the worst emotional pain I've ever felt in my life. For sure. But it's almost worse sometimes thinking about, it's like soul crushing to think about how sad and confused they would be if we just disappeared because mm-hmm. they, they would have no idea. Yeah. yeah. They, they would just spend the rest of their life looking mm-hmm. and being sad. Yeah. They're domesticated. They wouldn't be able to eat. They yeah. wouldn't be able to, they're, it's, they would be completely lost in the world. It's <sighs> terrible. It's honestly the worst thing I could think of ever. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> looking at my, Thank the maker, a podcast to lift your day. <laughs> As I'm looking at Finn, look at me while he's wearing his Grogu pajamas right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank the maker, a dog dad podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would call I would call him, but he would start whining and barking at the door. So I'm not gonna do that. He's a talker, that one. My favorite scene may be the conversation at the partisan base because it it was so reminiscent of Saw Gerrera from Rogue One that we just didn't we didn't get enough of. Mm-hmm. You know, he was so good in that and his backstory is so great in the cartoons. And we got to watch Forrest Whitaker just chew the shit out of the scenery and the way he and Stellan Skarsgård, the dialogue's great. Like the actual words are great, but the subtlety, all the nuance of the way they're acting with their faces to each other is as good as anything. It's like it, it, it sells it all. That's like, I talked about the subtlety in the, the sarcasm when he tries to, to get him paranoid about tubes. 
I mean, it's the stuff that makes the greatest dramatic moments in Star Wars work when actors can bring so much more to it than just the words on the page. These guys are as veteran and master craftsmen as you're going to get in, Mm -hmm. especially in Star Wars, but in film, right? And I've said this before on the show from, it's been 20 years plus years now since I've been heavily studying theater and the idea that the most important thing in a scene is not even the dialogue. That's not even the most important thing. It's your acting partner. No matter what, that's the single most important focus of your job is listening to your acting partner. And so when you watch these guys, that's exactly why you feel what you just said, their faces and their connection, because they're listening so intently and so realistically. They're, they're not acting. They're actually listening. They are the character that, that they're portraying because that character is listening to the other character. They're not just waiting to say their lines and say them convincingly, which to be honest, that's what most people do. Right. More than 90% of acting is people convincingly portraying their lines. Right. It's that top 10%, top 5% of all-time performers that have that ability to listen to a scene partner as if they are really having that conversation. You know, we don't have lines when we're talking to each other. We're listening to wait mm-hmm. to how to react and how to respond to what you've said after I've processed what I've listened to you saying. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's the difference between listening and hearing, right? That you say, are you, listen- are you right. actually listening to me? And so I-, I think that that's that's why you feel that way. And I, again, I just think we're so lucky to be the Star Wars fans that we are and have this caliber of, mm-hmm. of talent on screen. It's crazy. And not for nothing too. Adam, are we still in your favorite your favorite uh, moment? I mean, Ryan just took it over. Sure, yeah. But, I mean, we're uh, talking about that scene between between the two of them. Not for nothing, too. My favorite phrase ever is like a, a you know a rising sea level rises all ships or whatever it is. You know, rising tide raises all boats. Yeah. You know, my favorite quote that I just improperly quoted. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like because Andor exists now. Like, I just feel like everything has to be better, right? Like, this is a new standard. I had that exact thought today. Not that Mandalorian needs to just left turn and feel like Andor now, but shouldn't Favreau and Filoni be like, oh, okay, we gotta, we gotta like get better. Not necessarily do what they're doing, but we have to crush it even better now. Bring in some people to punch up this dialogue or do this or that. Go back to the beginning of this when... We didn't cover this on the show, so we don't have to go into it because we don't. We, we like to keep things up here. But remember how we didn't cover it because we we're like, "Come on, Mike, we're not. We don't want to yeah. bum everyone out." Because you're <laughs> right. Yeah. But he, and he wasn't bummed. He was like afraid that this was going to change Star Wars forever. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I'm like, "Let's go. I'm here for it." Ro- you know, Rogue One's my favorite. Yeah. Let's go. I, I want it. But, but he had tons of valid points of why, like there should still be different kinds of Star Wars, and I fully agree oh, with totally, that. Yeah. But I think Mandalorian is somewhere kind of walking in the in no man's land mm-hmm. between what they are and, and what they've pulled from older Star Wars and and mesmerized us with the nostalgia that they've so successfully done. And now this, which is just mm-hmm. completely new and... Yeah, I love it all. Uh, like, uh, for all of the stormtroopers and Empire and, and things that are happening in this, you don't ever feel like they're leaning on nostalgia in Andor. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're making something completely new, yeah. you know, from the ground up. So... There aren't those shots of stormtrooper helmets on spikes to be like, whoa, right. there's old stormtroopers. You just feel like you live there. There's stormtroopers around because they're around. And I, Does that make sense? And so 100%. I, I think there's definitely a gauntlet being thrown down here for the the more, what do we call it? Prestige television versions of, of Star Wars. Right. My favorite quote is actually the quote of the week. So we'll get that at the end. We'll get there. Patrons, we got some favorites in here from patrons. Nick 
the first one I have to say was <laughs> was funny, and then you take you go from here. Cat H just said the one with the stormtroopers. <laughs> Some of our patrons' favorite scenes and moments. Uh, Patrick Merton says the scene on the beach really did it for him. And yeah, I mean, my goodness, was that beautiful. Mm-hmm. I also interpreted in that scene that there was like some, you know, light beams coming out of the clouds. And that could be, you know, interpreted as like Marva in heaven type of thing, you know? Yeah. Just Fly Casual says B2 watching mom be carried out. Oof. Brutal. My goodness. My goodness. Megan Ducher also said the most powerful for me was the first scene with B2. So a lot of B2 love, which they crushed, honestly. They, it was so, yeah. so good. And again, just going back to that point of like, it's a droid. It doesn't have facial anything, like like no facial expression whatsoever. So the way he spoke and like stuttered was really the only way he could convey emotion. But everything else was camera work and lighting and all that. It's just brilliant. Puppeteering. Yeah. Patrons, thank you for participating. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being patrons. Thanks for supporting. It makes it all happen. Thank you for your patronage. If you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. I think we really are going to overhaul it or at least update it pretty soon. Maybe adjust the existing tiers. Thinking of some things. So keep your ear to the streets for that. Patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. If you want to follow this podcast on social media, it's at thankthemaker. On Twitter, it's at thankthemakerpod. On Instagram and TikTok, my stuff is all at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. All my socials are at Nick Bayside. And please, please, please go listen to the new Bayside EP and specifically our new song called Just Like Home. And we're going on tour next February on the Just Like Home tour. Go buy tickets. If you want Thank the Maker merch, you can go to thankthemakermerch.com. That will also get you to Mosh Isley merch. It's all one store. We should probably do some hoodies since it's cold now. Oh, yeah. True. And we should say we keep running into some intellectual property uh, copyright (sighs) infringement. So, uh, you know, we're still learning how the merch store really works uh, in general. So some stuff like the Mosh Eisley poster that has a stormtrooper on it got flagged. So if you purchased that, we canceled your order and refunded you. And we're going to work on an alternate way for you to get that poster. And then... After a while, I want to say the Top Gun shirt got taken down also. Yeah, Jesus. Like if it says Star Wars in any font, it's getting flat yeah. now. It's annoying. So thank you for your patience. We're going to keep working in, on what printer we use that hopefully lets us do illegal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you like this podcast, if you've made it this far, clearly you like it a little bit. If you haven't hit subscribe on your pod catcher of choice, please do that because it helps people find the podcast. And leave a review or a rating if you want. That helps as well. And thank you so much for listening. Let's wrap it up. William Ryan Key, send us home with a quote. Okay. A little context. This is the scene in the Den of Antiquities in Luthen's shop between Clea and Val. Val asks her, what have you done lately? And Clea takes a moment, takes a beat to get ready to fire back. <laughs> and this quote is so good. I don't have lately. I have always. I have a constant blur of plates spinning and knives on the floor and needy, panicked faces at the window of which you are but one of many. Clea Markey. Dropping the mic. Hammer drop. Yeah, drop the mic. (laughs) All right, patrons, thanks again for being here. Everyone, thanks for listening. Dudes, good to hang with you. Good pod. Great pod. Love you guys. And until next week, may the force be with you. 